Heat Seeking Panther, Miles and Dave, talking about Nicholas Cage. I also, I, I have a slight disclaimer too. Um, when I was watching this, uh-huh. I may have fallen asleep before the end. I've seen it plenty of times. <laughs> okay. I was watching it kind of late and fell asleep. So the end of it, I'm just going to be kind of going off memory. I mean, but you, you've seen it. You notoriously watch movies again and again and again. So it's, it's sort of, it's something I'm known for, I guess. <laughs> so I, I've only seen hackers a couple thousand times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know this. Um, so I, I, have full faith that uh, the you know the basic themes and anything we're going to touch on, I'm sure uh, you'll be able to add trenchant insight. I hope so. I hope I'm not just a incoherent madman on the other end of this line. And hey, even if you are, you know, yeah, that's probably, that's fine. Uh, yeah, you guys like Chinese food? Yeah. <laughs> I do actually. <laughs> yeah, the stakes honestly couldn't be lower. <laughs> okay. well, we gotta smash those other cage podcasts, man. Yeah, dude, we we do, we do. I have to. I realized to um, recently that ratings, how how much ratings and like comments for some reason on like the iTunes thing, um, podcast app really go a long way. To uh, so I, you know, it, we have a tough road to hoe. We've got a, a lot of other Nicolas Cage podcasts out there like vying for the crown. I, I don't even think they know we exist, but I, I got them in my fucking sights and I, I want them to burn. I want to hear the lamentations of their women. Raise them unto the foundations. Exactly. I'm going to get biblical. I like it. Absolutely. I want to well, see their foreskins in a pile. Well, in the spirit of the Buffalo Springfield song in the intro of this movie, uh, for what it's worth, I have been telling other people about your podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much. Wow, that was slick. Are you sure you've never been on a podcast like before? <laughs> See, okay, so what What everyone... And then when they say, uh, I don't know, I go, well, do you like movies? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And honestly, they can't argue with that. Yeah. That's pretty sound logic. If they say no, then... If they don't like either of those things, then... It's then don't talk to them. They're lost. Yeah. yeah. I mean, conversation over. I, we should we should do. I think we're recording now, and and we should do an actual introduction to our very special guest, uh, Fontlaurie Adams himself, Max Busman, my oldest friend. Uh, we've known each yeah, we've known each other since we were just little little tots. Tykes, yeah. Tykes. Kindergarten. Yeah, Max, welcome. Uh, you're a very special guest also because of your vast knowledge of, uh, of arms, of guns, um, which I, you know, there couldn't be a better movie, honestly, to have you as a guest. I thought this might be a good one to come in on because, uh, yeah, my, my familiarity with the source or the subject matter and as well as, um, I've read the book that it's extremely loosely based on. I didn't even know Uh, there was a book. Okay, I'm sorry, I got wait, it. Wait, hold on, hold on. Keep holding. Here it comes. There's. <laughs> oh my God! There's even more in this intro. There's gonna I picked the wrong one. There's gonna be a roar. <laughs> oh yeah, there was a countdown in that video. That, that video is a little there, too intense. It was me. like 15 seconds I think I'm of, try, a, of yeah. a panther's face with a countdown till the actual roar. 
are these all the same panthers roaring and all these? Yeah, videos? it's it's yeah, the it's same sound effect. It's panthers. the same sound. It's the same sound effect, but like we, diff- we just try a different YouTube video every time. Yeah, to see if there's any variation. Mixed results. You could try playing it backwards once. That might. Uh, oh, that's a really like good idea. Up. Maybe there's some like satanic messages hidden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe there's a reason that the intros are always longer than the actual sound. We're missing all the backmasking at the front. <laughs> yeah, it's like Stairway to Heaven. Like, if we play it backwards, there's going to be a whole other roar. Some whole uh, MK Ultra stuff going on. Exactly. Yeah, man, you want to talk biblical. <laughs> it's going to happen. It's going to open some gate. I <laughs> said so the whore of Babylon. Just in Latin when you play it backwards. <laughs> um Okay, so wait, I didn't even, I didn't know that the movie 2005's Lord of War that we're talking about right now was based on a book. As I understand it, it's based around the book. Um, It's been probably six years since I've read the book, uh, but called Merchant of Death, which is about a ex-KGB arms dealer, a guy named Victor Bout, who had some fairly similar exploits. It seems like they lifted extremely uh, loosely or, or t- took a lot of artistic liberty with the source material. But, but yeah, yeah as, as I understand it, it is somewhat based on this book. How's the book? Um, it's less of a book, actually, like a compilation of UN reports and intelligence reports. So it's extremely dry. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds fun as fuck. <laughs> yeah. I definitely see how they adapted it so quickly. Because the okay, so the Wikipedia article that I read because we don't we're done with the book, so we're I'm stuck reading. Uh, we've we've now just, resorted to the same sources, the that, most basic yeah. bitch uh, sources out there. But <laughs> it said that it was based on an arms dealer named Yuri Orlov. Well, I know that's the that's the name they gave him in the film. Oh no 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 yeah wait what's what's the actual name? Uh, look at my um, notes. As as I understand it, and I could very well have flawed information, but. As I understand it, the the real person it's based on is a guy named Victor Bout. Oh yeah, okay. O U T. Yeah, yeah. It it's definitely pulled from like real. It like the first forty minutes of it are almost just like a primer on how to be an arms dealer. Yeah. And it kind of it felt a little bit like the Wolf of Wall Street to me. It was so Scorsese like. It, it was like really. Uh, there's something about using that like voiceover with the kind of like cuts and edits they yeah. were doing. And the voiceover like never ended. It was like the, yeah, it, it's like a super fun for a lot of it. It's, it's, it just makes it look really fun to be an arms dealer. <laughs> and then, and then kind they kind of deal with the moral shit, um, at the end to like, I think with like mixed results. Um, but like, it's yeah. a, it's, it's a really, it's a really like, uh, uh, pessimistic film, um, also, which I had forgotten, but it's for, for a good half of it. Like, I think it's a lot of fun. I, I feel like they tried to get into some deeper territory with it, but it was, it was a little ham handed. And in, in many cases, I felt like they, they sort of flirt with the idea of delving into a deeper subject or a, uh, more thought provoking, examination of something but then they just sort of pull it back they they tease you i honestly felt like the the opening credits were one of the most thought-provoking sequences of the whole thing because they have um they have the the bullet being made you know and it starts in the factory and they've got the song 
the Buffalo Springfield song playing, and it shows something going from uh, being just this inanimate nothing on an assembly line all the way through getting to its, obviously, its final destination in some kid's head. Yeah, in the head you know, of the war zone some and, teen. Uh, showing how this, how this thing goes from just raw material to this in the end, this evil thing, right? But how how it never really was in the first place. That that honestly was one of the more I don't know thought provoking parts of the film for me. Yeah, it isn't good when there's two hours after. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I agree. I think the the opening sequence is probably the most memorable um, part. I think the the plane dismantle. Like the yeah. time lapse, the plane dismantle time lapse was my favorite shot. That part's really of good. Like too. the whole movie. I did like that a lot, although it felt it felt kind of crappy that his whole escape plan in that hinged around the idea of like, oh, poor black people want stuff. <laughs> oh, I well, I know it's crazy. I can, it's I can get away. There's plenty of poor black people. Like around. yeah, and and this might be jumping ahead a little a little much, but in a movie where so much of it is just like terrible moralist like like moral choices right. by like skeezy gross people that are like sucking off every desperate person in the world <laughs> uh i think that scene was like to me the that really hit me the hardest well, in terms of its cynicism yeah i i think that's where the that like scorsese light tone really really feels like uh pointed i i think like of because that's where cage is like on like full showman mode where he's like come on he's like guns 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 he's like a carnival barker i was actually i was writing down a couple of my favorite lines throughout the movie and that's one of them where he's saying guns bullets grenades hooray (laughs) yay Yeah. And and it is like super I mean that's that really is like the where I think they get the the tone that they are reaching for the most right in in that whole sequence where because it it's fun. It's it's got like a little bit of like a a heist movie feel of like how's he going to get away with this? But what he's getting away with is supplying guns to uh warlord <laughs> to, like um well and then offloading them on some extremely poor folks just in yeah. order just to save his own neck that one time right H- handing rocket launchers to children and telling them to run away it's like yeah it's max was that scene in the book um you know honestly it has been quite a quite a long time i know there was a, a similar scene where he's I think he's on a ridge line somewhere in Africa, and he, obviously he has in in the book he's got his own private security team that rolls with him everywhere. So it's never right. just him and like his his Joker pilot and his brother. Yeah, um, that makes sense. But yeah, there there are several sort of close calls in the book where he he manages to offload something and then escape just in time, as I remember it. Okay. Yeah. Honestly, I would have looked over the book um, before this reporting, but I. We've moved recently, and I legitimately have no idea where I put it. Yeah, there's no, there's no there, actually excuse for you to not. <laughs> to oh, see, I was under the impression that you were coming here uh, and you had studied yeah. and you were ready to throw down, but <laughs> I can see that you just didn't care enough. If you didn't hear earlier, <laughs> Miles, you guys hang up on me. <laughs> Miles and I both read the Wikipedia article on this movie. I also read the IMDb trivia same, page. Same, same. 
<laughs> Wait. I spent the last uh, 48 hours while I was in Vegas just looking at pictures of Nicolas Cage on my phone whenever I had a free moment. Yeah, <laughs> I know this was... That would help. The, the one, uh, b- like, break from uh, life with your infant child that you've had in, like, <laughs> uh, over a year. But... Um, I just would have appreciated you to reread those UN documents for our podcast. Pour over them, take some more notes. Four whole pages of notes. That's that's amazing, actually. Um, do you know anything about um, uh, Charles Taylor, the the warlord who um, they the Andre Baptiste character is based on? Um, not a great deal, other than that he was a. Uh, tremendous asshole yeah no I, I i read his wikipedia and i got that that too i mean i think they sort of they tried to hit on all the major points the um the child soldiers the ethnic cleansing yeah the, the civil war and whatnot um the, yeah the but, civil war the genocide and whatnot um no but not not a great deal about him but i i do want to you touched on something um talking about the the plane scene uh, it's sort of there was one part that I had trouble with in that, which is something that I had trouble with throughout the whole movie, is that I never felt like there was any doubt at any point that he was going to get away with it. Yeah. It never felt like there was going to be, even toward the end with um, with the conclusion with Jared Leto um, sort of getting it at the end, I, I didn't feel like there was ever any consequence for him, really, or any comments no. that that came his way. Right. Which made the film feel so gross and cynical because there was no comeuppance. Like even at the end when he got, I guess he got like, he got a slap on the wrist. Yeah. Essentially like nothing really happened to him. Um, Right. I mean, yeah, he he still got paid. Right. Right. (laughs) They killed his brother and his brother tried to fuck up the arms deal. They just sort of split the money in half. Right. Well, we can still pay you for the one truck. Yeah, and then Ethan Hawke... We're all reasonable people here. Right. Then Ethan Hawke arrests him, and there's the the big ending, which, I you know, is kind of the big cynical stinger at the end of the movie where he is completely calm, and he's just like, you know, the, the U.S. is the biggest arms dealer in the world, and um, don't you don't think that it's just other people in other countries who pay me. Like, I'm, I'm going to get off... And there's nothing you can do to stop me. Yeah, but that but that doesn't make me be like, oh, okay. Well, then I guess you're just then it's just a day job for you. So you know, if you weren't doing the business, someone else would. Like, who's gonna come away with that with that realization? Like, I, I feel like they're going for something that like they're trying to exonerate him in a way that he doesn't deserve. No, see, I, I felt like they were trying to make kind of a point, <clears throat> like a cynical point of just like they were like, this is happening. There are arms dealers. Guns go from here to there. And kind of like well, put it. Yeah, they do. And, <laughs> and like, yes, they do. And and but I think they the, they're the movie doesn't really have a solution. It doesn't. Which maybe for the better. I, I don't know what. Well, like, I, I don't. I don't think it necessarily needs a solution. I just think that it doesn't need to be 
like trading on that. Okay. So I'll tell you kind of the way that certain scenes made me feel is yeah. like when I was watching eight millimeter where uh-huh. it was like, there are just like, there are like Hollywoodized versions of like the grossest kinds of like backroom transactions and yeah. deals that go on in the world. And like, I don't want to watch a movie where those guys just kick ass and then <laughs> that nothing happens to them at the end of the day. I do agree that there's sort of a, it's, it's really lacking in any, emotional resonance in that department well and 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 even like being cynical about it which i think is kind of what they opt for because they were like that that's like they're like we don't because they don't build up the characters beyond like one dimension because they kind of weigh the script down with a lot of just kind of the the minutiae of the day-to-day life of being becoming the biggest arms dealer in the world but it's like so the whole thing's so blasé that it's it, it feels you know. fatalistic. It's just like, and yeah, it's, it's like, did you know about arms dealers? <laughs> they exist and they make a lot of money. And what what are you going to do? <laughs> What's happening? We know about this, right? Right. Have you heard about this? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, and that, that sort of speaks to what I was, what I was mentioning earlier, where I feel like they, they hint at, or, you know, drive right up to the edge of, actually delving into a more serious look at some of these issues. Right. And then they just pull it all back and kind of they're like, well, sorry, we, we have to move along to the next theme. Like, we got a lot of ground to cover here. Yeah, it's, it's breadth versus depth. Yeah, and I, I felt like they tried to use Ethan Hawke and to a very, <laughs> very much less extent, Jared Leto as sort of an emotional check-in along the way. Yeah, kind of, yeah, or kind of like somebody kind of holding a mirror up to him a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Ethan Hawke's um, his speech about the uh, about the differences between small arms and the nuclear weapons, saying you know this is the real weapon of mass destruction. Right, is maybe one of the more informative or or. I guess the critical looks at that along the way. Yeah. Where, you know, these, these don't get the type of generally, they don't get the type of press that the big, scary, you know, chemical weapons and that sort of thing do because that's, you know, millions of people dead in a split second, but the cumulative effect of the one is steadily eating away at the world. Whereas yeah, the other is just sitting there for the most part. Well, and I mean, the conversation on guns is obviously like changing and changed a lot in America uh, recently. But I think based on guns, mass killings on American soil. And I think yeah. I think we're kind of all uh, pretty numb to um, a lot of the atrocities that um, Nicolas Cage's character that of the type that um, he's giving guns to help people, you know, like it's for, for whatever reason. Yeah. That, that we've seen so much of it from, at, from such a distance that, um, I think, and I think that kind of the film doesn't really, um, uh, conquer that. I, I think there, it, especially with its kind of like cynical tone, like there is still just a bit, you're like, wow, yeah, that is terrible that that is going on all the time. And, uh, but like it, I I don't, I don't know if it, it, it's informative in parts. Like I didn't, I didn't really understand, um, just kind of the like basics of, uh, how that the whole thing about if when countries leave, like when the U S leaves an occupied territory, they just leave the guns behind. 
and or mm-hmm. yeah, just that there's like a surplus of weapons after a war and that they have to go somewhere. And, you know, that feels very simple and basic, but like I, I did appreciate having that spelled out for me in, in the movie, just being like, yeah, of course. Of course, that's where the market is. And then they just go wherever um, capitalism dictates. Yeah, they, do, they make it look very easy. And fun. I guess. Yes, and, and fun. And, I mean, to, when he's with his uncle and he's looking at all the, the weapons stockpile and they're like, oh, well, you buy, you buy nine tanks, we'll give you one free. And <laughs> he's like, oh, you have 40,000 Kalashnikovs. No, 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 that looks like 10,000. You better order more. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. They were, I found myself honestly wanting them to explore some of the side plots more. Like I, I was more interested to find out what happened with. Uh, I would have been more interested to see more about Ethan, or not Ethan, Ian Holmes' character. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who was that guy? Felt, he he was like the legit uh, arms dealer. Well, I mean, yeah, but like, who was he? Right, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Oh, which yeah. is, which is to Max's point that he wanted, I, right. I also wanted more. Yeah. He him. shows up in like three scenes. Yeah. I was honestly, I was even interested when, uh, Nick Cage was talking about all the different passports he carried and he says, well, and I had a student visa for the U S but that's another story. I want to know like, what's story. <laughs> what, what are you doing with that student? Visa? Yeah. He's just taking some night classes at LACC, you know. He's thinking maybe he wants to get, like, a child psychology degree uh, or, you know, maybe move into more therapy arts. Like, who knows? Still trying to get away from Jared Leto's borscht. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, He's taking some pottery classes. (laughs) Well, let's let's actually talk about what this film is because we've been um, kind of uh, talking uh, about jumping all over the place but um this this was a 2005 movie directed by andrew nickel who was the writer director um hot shot writer director came onto the scene with gattaca um do you guys do you guys see gattaca yes i believe we actually saw gattaca together way back in the day really i believe that i i believe it also in michigan yeah, right. I think we did. Um, he also directed Simone with uh, Al Pacino, and the, oh. it's it's basically her. But <laughs> like, yeah, I never saw that, but I remember being really interested when I, I was like, "What the hell is this movie going to be?" Yeah, I, I think it's like her and um, maybe a mix of that and that movie where Steve Martin makes Eddie Murphy. Um, oh, Bowfinger. Bowfinger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's just a guess. I've never seen it. <laughs> Wait, you haven't seen Bowfinger? No, I haven't seen Simone. I we I watch Bowfinger also with you on VHS at your house. That sounds likely, yeah. <laughs> but any anyway, and, and before those movies, this guy worked in TV commercials for like ten years. This movie looked like it. Yeah, this movie looked and, and felt like high, a commercial, like a high end commercial. Um, it, did, it had it had a very commercialistic feel where they would often open or close a scene just with a, a very up close shot of namely an AK 47, but just sort of more broadly a gun. Yeah. Just sort of like, don't forget, this is what this is about. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, he's, he's good at kind of like, um, objectively fetishizing guns, like making them, making them look interesting and cool, which is like a, a big part of being a good commercial director. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a movie, uh, I think about capitalism, like and kind of to like that was probably just from 
I, I don't know. I, I've do you do you think in any way his career as a commercial director influenced his decision to make this kind of movie? Maybe. Like, do you think that maybe he was just he felt like he had something to say about you know the capitalistic uh, nature of of uh, American consumers and like advertisements or whatever something like that. Well, and and I think I mean I know I was about to just dive into the the plot of this movie, but I I I, I think like that's the main failing of the movie is that it kind of like you were saying, Max, like it in that first part it uh, shows the bullet being made and and it sort of it sort of emphasizes throughout the movie, like guns are a tool, you know, and, um, they are going to just keep going around the world. And you know, that it, it, it's almost like to me, the, the, the real issue that the movie is trying to wrestle with is capitalism is the, the sense that like, you know, Nicholas Cage's character is just, he doesn't care about, uh, guns necessarily. He's not like a, he doesn't fetishize guns themselves. It's just a, a product and right um, he, he cares about money and he's a really good salesman and he goes wherever the market uh is best and you know yeah, uh, he sees something he can make a high margin on right and and it's not that it's it, you know i think the movie is in part kind it it's doesn't quite condemn him because it's sort of saying like you know it 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 well, uh, this is not a subtle movie, so it it really like hammers home. Like you know, he goes. I mean, to, there's literally a speech about it at the end. Like this is the thesis yeah. of the film. Yeah, and I mean, he like goes to Bay, Beirut or something, and he sees a cigarette ad, and he's like, oh, yeah, other other people got here first, you know. So, but it it's both not subtle about that, but it doesn't really it doesn't um, it doesn't actually go after that point. Like capitalism is the enemy i think is the is the issue but instead it's trying to um just deal i guess deal with guns or arms dealing without actually like um condemning it you know what i mean like it it doesn't put yeah. it doesn't put a fine enough point on what its actual target is even while being like really okay so like exactly it's like yeah obviously the system is fucked up but also the way that you're taking advantage of it makes you a fucked up individual. Right. And like they don't ever, they don't ever, they don't quite bring it home. Right. Well, I think one of the, one of the themes of the movie and uh, let me know what you guys think about this, but I think one of the themes of the movie is just inevitability. Yeah. Because they could have made almost point for point sort of the same movie about someone becoming a drug smuggler, yeah. you know, an international drug dealer except, you know, the market was already sort of saturated with movies about that, and this was sort of a more untapped thing to go after, a more untapped theme to, to explore, but then they never get around I mean, exploring it. It's- to be honest, like, he could be any kind of carpetbagger, like, just going to, uh, you know, uh, depressed areas of the world and taking advantage of people with, you know, like, I mean, industry all over the world has consequences of that. And that would have been a more nuanced and interesting movie. Like it could have been, right. It could have been a movie about Steve Jobs. Sure. You know? Yeah. And Ashton exploitation and inevitability. Ashton Kutcher could have played him and okay. Ashton Kutcher is Steve Jobs. 
as played by Nicolas Cage. No, I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry, Max. I feel like you were about to make a really good point yeah, about exploitation. <laughs> Can you start again from the top? <laughs> oh, um, well, I don't want to. I don't want to steer us off further into the weeds. But I was going to say, um, going to that theme of sort of the just exploitation that that he seems to, or exploitive nature that he exhibits throughout a lot of it. Did you guys find the sort of tacked-on love story just a little gross? Why was it there? And also, why was he just obsessed with this model? Like, where did that come from? Where did it start? Like, did he know about her before he fell in love with her? Yeah, well, she was from the neighborhood, right? Yeah, but it felt never like he was in love with her, more just like he wanted to own her. Yeah. He, He saw her as a status symbol and something to own and something to sort of prove to the world like look at this look at this gal i got yeah i've got it made you know right and so it, i th- it never felt like a love story actually i mean love story i should have actually put quotes on it in my notes because, yeah yeah it, but i mean uh, that ex- I think less engaged viewers might have thought it was sort of sweet a sweet side plot but it just felt creepy to me <laughs> well I, I mean i think they're he's trying to do the scarface thing uh, in one hand, which does exactly that, you know, um, Al Pacino's character um, uh, gets a trophy yeah, wife, Michelle, Michelle Pfeiffer, and and it's but it's actually interesting. I mean, it's weird to be saying that Scarface is more like nuanced and interesting <laughs> than a movie. It's weird to say that out loud, but it's true because Scarface Brian is Palma, fucking amazing, and <laughs> and so it tries to do that on one hand, but then also make her a big like point of the emotional stakes with him like oh he's you know but it's not just but he never actually loved her or i didn't feel like right. he ever actually loved her right yeah i think i would agree with that 100%. i think part of the tragedy is supposed to be like you know he her life of luxury is funded by this disgusting business that and she chooses not to know where it's coming from and when she does when Ethan Hawke's character tracks her down and tells her what's up, she can't bear it, and she tells him to go straight, and he just can't because... And, like, you know, from a story standpoint, like, that were... You know, it, it makes narrative sense, but it didn't, it didn't land. And all the stuff with her, it felt like... It felt like she was a device to humanize him, and then mm-hmm. because this movie is so cynical she he he's given the chance to be humanized and he's like nope got i got to sling them guns baby the road calls yep. and yeah and so you're just kind of like okay well it it just sucks it's that same thing it's just the world is hard and it sucks well and i feel like to again to a lesser extent they tried to do that a bit with Jared Leto's character yep sort of put some put some depth to him and make this like i was saying this this emotional check-in for him of where i don't know which time it is that he's dropping him off at the rehab place and you know he does his uh his customary bump of cocaine before he goes into rehab like you do yeah and and he says something along the lines of you know be careful yuri those things you sell kill <laughs> not not outside but in here and it, yeah it, it felt just very uh overt i guess uh, yeah again it's i like, mean like it 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 might be the most overt film i've ever seen it's not subtle <laughs> i will say it again 
<laughs> oh, how, how about that scene speaking of rehab and, and Jared Leto when he's doing the where where he goes on like the week long bender and then Cage catches up with him and he's in like he's in like Sudan or somewhere yeah. like, and like in some like flop house and like Cage just kicks the door in oh, and he's and making he has the 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 mirror um, yeah. where he, he, he and he's made like an outline of the of the of, of the, Ukraine of Ukraine out of oh, coke yeah, the, the cocaine Ukraine yeah <laughs> cocaine yeah yeah um so okay let's we're gonna pull it back to the plot because so w- this movie is about um nicholas cage is a uh, son of immigrants or he is an immigrant came over here as a child a dreamer you could say and he um he, he, see when all those liberal snowflakes claim that they want uh that that, that they want uh the dreamers to stay these yeah. are the kind of people that they're supporting exactly they they could be yeah, not what DACA had in mind. <laughs> Just a bunch of Yuri Orlovs. We have so many, so <laughs> many guns that. Um, so uh, yeah, he grows up just wanting more, wanting to get out of Brooklyn and and be a big boy. And uh, he sees the Russian mobsters with their guns being big boys, and he's like, "Oh, I see a market." And then that's the whole movie. And then he sells guns, and then it's over. So we covered the plot. I, we got yeah, it. Yeah, no, that's that's. I, fine. I mean, so Jared, Jared Leto is his is his fuck up brother who like just has a target on his head from the moment he pulls him into the the gun, like gun running. He's like, I need you, and you're like, No, you don't. The dude can't even make soup. Like, don't. And like, this is clearly being set up so that he gets killed. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Don't. Yeah, from the first scene where they where they talk in the kitchen and he's saying, you know, beware supposed to be aware of the dog and me fight, kill everything <laughs> and that's right. also also one of my favorite lines from nick cage in this is well what if that's the best part the dog part <laughs> <laughs> and they like take a swig of vodka and it's like okay t- let's uh, let's I, all, I really did appreciate um they both clearly studied a lot with uh dialogue coaches to get their ukrainian accents down really both of them did Oh, excellent Ukrainian accent. Because you actually studied Russian, right? No, they they sound just like themselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I used to know a little Russian, but no, they I Nick Cage just sounds like Nick Cage. But no, he's like, yeah, it's oh, Ukrainian. yeah, I, I thought you were being okay. serious. Yeah. Doesn't even sound like he's from New York. No, I know, but but <laughs> Max. Max, you should you should be glad that that that's that he sounds like himself because we've seen many many films where he tries to do an yeah. accent, Dude. and it makes the film so much worse one hundred percent of the time. Yeah, Captain Corelli's mandolin is um, like drops. It, it goes from fresh to rotten just based on the the accent alone. I actually, I really want to see that movie now. Please after do listen to your guys' episode about it. Do not. <laughs> it do sounds. It sounds mind blowing. It's so dumb. <laughs> um, no, see, I thought you were serious because I, 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 I uh, like when they went into Russian because you're both of them just sound, like you said they don't even sound like they're from New York, <laughs> but but then they they kind of like turn the Russian on and he has that voiceover at that one part. He's like, "Isn't it strange how we go into our native tongue in moments of agony and ecstasy?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but they're just like, "Hi, I'm Nick Cage." It's just <laughs> yeah, no, they they like practiced a couple lines in Russian and then the rest of it or or Ukrainian, I suppose. I'm you know no linguistic expert but uh 
but yeah, the rest of it, they just sort of were Nick Cage and Jared Leto. But for, for, for uh, the better. Overall, I, I felt like one of the, I don't know if this is something that the director actually told him, but I feel like they might have told Nick Cage that this is a character who is emotionally removed from what he's doing. And that's why they needed the other characters to be those sort of emotional uh, milestones for him to hit or reminders for, for the film to move along. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like he may have taken that to an extreme and his his performance feels very monotone. Yeah. Like the whole film, he just seems like he's sort of blankly staring and reacting. Yeah, it, it's not... A, and the, the narration a, is super dry. Yeah, it's it's not as bad as Firebirds, um, which I... I or uh, maybe guarding Tess, I think, oh were the God. the two most like deadpan, um, boring Nick Cage performances that we've watched. But um, yeah, it's it, I think it goes in part again with kind of like what they're doing of like yeah he's so emotionally removed from it that he he can't even you know he's he's barely human. But then it's like why do I care about his marriage? Why do I care about this? person it, it's just because i need to know that be, there are arms dealers and they're bad like got it yeah got it got it in the before the credits were over yeah well and they they do bring it back occasionally to to what you were saying earlier rem, sort of the i don't know if it's a reminder or just a they, they drop it in there of like hey this is this is just an inanimate object that's being sold by shitty people to other people who are doing shitty things with it. But his uh, the speech he gives to Jared Leto in the kitchen when they're, I don't know, it's Christmas or something, and uh, and he's sort of comparing it to, to cars and cigarettes and saying, well, these things kill a lot of people every year too. You know, right. it has a safety on it. Um, I felt like that was, that was uh, them trying to remind you of like, this is, it's all in the hands of the user. Mm-hmm. But done in done in very sloppy and sort of slapdash. Like we had to throw this in, and now we're again. We need to keep it moving, keep covering ground here. Well, yeah, I don't even think that I don't even know what they're like. It's another thing. It's just not. It's like really obvious and not subtle, but not quite pointed enough at the same time. Of like, so what? What is the movie's stance? Like, is is that? Are we supposed to think that it's monstrous that he's making that point, or is he making a? a because you know they sort of set it up that way, but it's also pretty rational. So like, are they trying to get us on his side? Is it supposed to be? It, it's just like there. It doesn't have quite the depth or like the tonal control enough to to really like make this movie make a a statement um of i think any kind of like big statement regardless of how again like i was reading that like it was hard for them to get this made it was hard to get funding for this and and like calling out the u.s for being for like funding um like sectarian violence all over the world is pretty pretty bold for a movie to do um as like on the nose and uh, up front as they do it in this. Um, so it's like, I want to, you know, I want to give it some credit, but they, I don't know if they like, he was trying to do too much or he just didn't know. I I think, I don't know. I guess Scorsese just makes it look easy. So what movie or what year was it made? It was 2004 or five? Five, yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like 
calling out the U.S. for being shitty or getting into shitty things was just sort of starting to come more into vogue in in Hollywood uh, around that time. Yeah, I, I, we were getting over yeah, the, the Bush years, nine eleven patriotic patriotic fever that we were in. Um, and yeah, and we'd been in Iraq for like a couple years at that point, and people were yeah. starting to be okay with being like, uh, maybe we should. You know, yeah, I don't. The honeymoon was over. I don't want to. I don't want to say anything too crazy, but um, <laughs> it seems like we're in two wars now, and uh, maybe we should just investigate that. I mean, yeah, does anybody know when these are gonna end? Really? <laughs> like, do you remember that movie where um, George Clooney gets like uh, kicked in the balls by terrorists? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, Ocean's Eleven. Three Kings. No, I, I, I don't. <laughs> no, actually. the can't. men who stare at ghosts. Those, those are the only two George Clooney movies I can think of right now. I want to say it's Sicario, but that's a different movie. It has, it has a, it's like, it was an anti-terrorist like Bush years movie that that came out, and he gets like, I, I think by Al Qaeda they they get it or when Al Qaeda kicks George Clooney in the balls. What is this movie? Or maybe they like staple his hands or something. They torture. There's a torture scene. I don't know. It's not Three Kings, is it's it? Never, it's, it's, no, it's the Iraqis not. pour the oil in. Um, no, Mark, that's Mark's. Mouth. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's that's Mark Wahlberg. Though. A couple conflicts away from Al Qaeda at that point. It's not. It's not Three Kings. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm right that this exists, but I can't look it up because I'm calling you on my phone. But um, so Miles, just just leave it in. <laughs> somebody somebody is going to send us an email or something with like the right answer. But Some, someone's going to listen to this and know what we're talking about. So <laughs> please let us know. Ideally, a screenshot would be best. Yeah. yeah. Right it's, at the moment of impact. He like gained weight. He like got fat and got a beard and Al Qaeda like puts him in a chair and like. I don't know. They like punch Wait, him. Wait, did they punch torture him, him the by like feeding him a lot? Wait, what do you mean he got fat? <laughs> Just for, for the character. Oh. <laughs> I thought that was like part of the torture scene. <laughs> they, they, they feed him so much delicious cake until he just doesn't like cake anymore. They, we ruined it for you. <laughs> um, not fat enough to kick in the ball. <laughs> They, they keep they kick, every day they can see his balls because his gut doesn't hang over and hide them. They kick him in the gut. <laughs> it's, it's fucking nefarious. Yeah. So if anyone knows what sure what movie that. this scene took place in, let us know. <laughs> I th- <laughs> I think it was um, uh, Michael Clayton. No. Um, <laughs> so I, yeah. So I, something I wanted to bring up that uh, is becoming like a real. Uh, be, I get a bee in my bonnet about this uh, a lot <laughs> with the movies we've been watching. Um, the The soundtrack was like so fucking obvious and like intrusive, yeah. intrusive. Uh, like you said, like f- using for what it's worth, using that Buffalo Springfield song. Like, I mean, that's a great song, and uh, you know, it's al- al- almost always a pleasure to hear. But it's just like it's been used too much. It's like Spirit in the Sky or something. Like you just can't or like yeah, playing. Man, but it hasn't been used as much as Hallelujah, which was also oh, in this movie. God, yeah, Hallelujah, yeah. and like it's like the two songs that are in more movies than any other movie than than any other two songs, and you're gonna put them both in your fucking yeah. movie. Yeah, it, it would have had the trifecta if they had like a credence song too. Yeah, it's Proud the, the soundtrack feels a lot like cue cards being shown to you, like Dude. with a with a different face on it. Like, exactly, this is a smiling cue card. This is a happy thing. Oh, this 
carries. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they go to the gun show and they play Ride of the Valkyries. It's like, I yeah. don't know. I kind of like that scene. Yeah. I mean, I like that scene too, but it's just the, that's the uh, apocalypse now did it. Wait, I, I'm, I'm sorry, Max. Do you, do you know if when they have like big arm shows like that, like who's the, who is the clientele or like the audience for those kind of like conventions? Like who are they target? Like who are like anti-aircraft shells targeted at at like a convention are 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 those at like a standard gun show no no <laughs> um just crash course in gun laws in the u.s there's um there's regular stuff that sort of everybody can own that it varies state by state and then there's what's called uh class three or nfa items that's like fully automatic that's like really short weapons things that blow up uh things with silencers uh, and those are, I mean, that's minimum, you're going through a year-long background check with the ATF and the FBI. But those are at, at out, those are at like, gun shows and stuff, though, yeah? Yeah, you can, you can find those. I mean, you can find those in some gun stores, uh, depending on what state you're in. But as far as the, you know, vehicle-mounted weapons and jets and tanks and stuff, I have never seen that sort of stuff other than at, like, an air show, and that's you know, more just about like, Hey, check out this, check out these jets. We're going to fly them by now. You've never, um, you never like walked I mean, in, walked into the civic center and saw two girls in uh, short shorts, right? straddling a tank. <laughs> can't say that I have. Um, no, I, the closest I've maybe seen is like the army or the Marines or something. will have a booth and they'll, they'll let you look at some of the machine guns that they use, but it's not anything that's for sale it's more like check this out don't you want to shoot this come join the marine yeah yeah because he he sort of like nick cage's character sort of just gets right into it like if i mean it was the 80s though so uh yeah actually actually uh, that was meant as a joke but actually, now that i'm thinking about it the nfa or national firearms act did become the law in i think 1985 or 86 so it, it's possible that around the time the story started, there would have been some more leeway with that sort of thing. But I, I don't think you would just stroll in and be like, yes, I would like uh, two surface to air missiles, please. <laughs> it, it does seem for, for like, it, it seems fantastically easy to be, become a successful arms dealer. And I think that's really, yeah. that that's a huge fault with this film. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think it goes against whatever uh, message they're kind of fumbling for, <laughs> because not only is it fun and lucrative, but all you have to, you just have to want it enough. Like there's, we don't, yeah. we don't really know like what separated him from any other schmuck who wants to just <laughs> who has no moral compass and just wants to get rich like all it see all he does is he's just like he just he sells guns he just gets them from somewhere and starts giving them to other people and gets rich yeah. immediately it looks like the easiest thing well and apparently at a high markup i mean what I, to that point i'm wondering sort of where the scene where he's in beirut and like you mentioned the leftover munitions just, it's just him, his brother, and a client walking through this warehouse with just piles and piles of guns, you know, up to the ceiling. There's no security anywhere. <laughs> I mean, if this sort of thing was actually present in a, at the time Beirut was an active, you know, war zone, I, I have to imagine there'd be some competition for it, <laughs> or somebody else would be would be interested yeah, in that, and maybe. 
taking stuff out of there when you're not in town. Yeah, we just like wander into like a fucking warehouse with like stacked to the ceiling with guns and be like, eh, I guess I'll take a couple of these. Well, yeah, I mean, it, I don't think it quite works that way. Yeah, I mean, they might as well have had like a roll up door with a master lock. <laughs> like, yeah. <and> <laughs> yeah, this is where we keep uh, more guns than um, could. Uh, I, I don't know. A lot of guns. <laughs> mountains and mountains. Yeah. Of Scrooge McDuck style. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nick Cage could Scrooge have McDuck's armory. Could have gone swimming in, in all the guns. He's just diving into pools of AK 47s. <laughs> that would have been a great deleted scene, honestly, or something for the credit, you know, like when they have. <laughs> Cage is just swimming in guns. Sw or, yeah, or just like a. He pops up out of it and just spits out a mouthful of guns. It sp spits out a mouth of bullets. <laughs> yeah. This is a monocle in. <laughs> Irish this accent is, or Scottish uh, accent. Korean bathing costume. <laughs> yeah, so it's like a striped one piece. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me introduce you to my three nephews. <laughs> Can we talk about this drug trip dream sequence with the fucking hyenas? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes, I was hoping we would talk about that. What the hell? Yeah, that's... Like, like, seriously, like, that just came out of left field. And I was hoping that it would develop into something more. Like, I was, I was kind of on board with where it was going. Well, yeah, they're like... It, it, it felt like another, like, cue card where they were like, time to have the dark night of the soul reckoning. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, we get a, we get a pretty fun, um, acid trip. Uh, he, he plays soccer with those children. He, uh, and then they like dog pile and try to like beat him up. <laughs> he, he, uh, gets, he tussles with some hyenas mentally. Um, what else does he do? Oh, he sees Ian Holm with a bullet with wound a bullet in, his hole head. in his head, like float past like uh, like a spooky like Twilight Zone style. <laughs> you killed me, Scrooge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he tries. My favorite part of that is where he tries to fix the gun of the guy who's trying to kill him. Oh, I love. Well, let me take a look at it. I and loved that. <laughs> the the dude tries to shoot him with an AK-47, and it jams, and he's like, "Oh, I'm sorry. They don't usually do that." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's very concerned about this. He's like, I hope this isn't a product. It's going to look bad. Yeah, yeah I liked that. I, I felt like that was, yeah, again, a very, I don't know forced is the right word, but just a very uh, deliberate way of sort of trying to ground him as a character and make him the slightest bit vulnerable, whereas the rest of the movie, that's totally absent. Yeah. It, it, it felt like it was trying to humanize him a little bit and say, look, see, he he regrets it or he has these these demons but apparently it takes mixing cocaine and gunpowder to bring them out of him oh but, yeah brown brown yeah and it was yeah, his was, gun I, they were making it with his the gunpowder that yeah. he sold that was a, a nice touch have you guys ever done brown brown i can't say that i have actually i'm, I'm down to try it now though after <laughs> seeing this movie look man it looks like a blast but i'm only doing it if i could do it in liberia yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's where you could really let loose it seems yeah that's that's where the party really is <laughs> that's actually what the michael jackson song liberian girl is about you guys know that one? <laughs> it's like a crazy night with some brown bread. <laughs> um, what else? What else is there to say? 
Miles, you said that this movie was not what you were expecting. Uh, what what were you expecting going into this? Uh, I was expecting something a lot darker. I don't mean in subject matter. I think it's pretty. It's <laughs> I dark think it's enough. a pretty dark movie. I just mean in tone, really, and like the way that they. I I just didn't expect it to be like a music video directed by like a college bro that had seen a couple Scorsese films, right? And like thought Goodfellas was the best movie ever made. You know, like it just was tonally. It really threw me. Um, yeah. I just expected something a little grittier and like, you know, sinister, I guess. And that just treated these kinds of people with like the gravitas that like their, you know, crimes deserve. Yeah, it's, it's weird. I mean, like, yeah, maybe that sounds heavy handed and I, and I should have just enjoyed the like mindless entertainment of it. No, but, but it didn't, it didn't, it wanted to be taken seriously though. And, and like, yeah, it, it's hard to kind of like pinpoint and we've been kind of circling around it or at the risk of repeating myself, it's like, it's so it it's so cynical and so pointed to an extent it, it but its target is kind of blurry and it kind of and it pulls some punches too i think like which is weird to just, its detriment like i think that it thought that it didn't want to go there because it wanted people to you know like the movie whatever that maybe. meant so it didn't want to feel like it was getting too heavy but I think it would have been a much better movie and it would have paid off if they hadn't pulled some of those punches. And it's weird to say that it pulls punches from a movie where, like, I think the thesis is evil prevails. Like, he's, that's literally one of the last lines that Nick Cage says. And it seems to be, you know, it's, it's like arms running. What are you going to do? Bad. The world is bad and sad. Are you yeah. are you sad? Did you have a good time at the movies? Like... <laughs> <laughs> but instead of instead of saying it as evil prevails, it's kind of like eh, evil prevails. Yeah, so it's, it's very indifferent. With, yeah, with a shrug. And, yeah, you know, it's like yeah, it, you know, it sort of felt. I don't know. I felt like whatever it like you were it, expecting the message to be coming in is sort of what you would get out of it. Yeah, as an initial viewing. Yep. Yeah, I think whatever your thoughts on guns were or war was or or anything, even like American imperialism even or anything. Wall Street. Wall like, Street. you know, you it, could just boil it down to that. Even. Yeah, it, it. I think it, because it it's not, it, it doesn't quite go for the kill. Yeah, I think you are just kind of left with whatever your initial impression was. I, so I, I know that this is, uh, it's not exactly a nice way to put it. But I felt like this would be the type of movie that you would feel was very insightful and very, very thought provoking and sort of deeper, deeper maybe than we're seeing it the younger you are. I mean, it felt like if I had seen this movie when I was like 13 or 14, I would have been just like rocked by it. I would have been like, this was, this was fucking awesome movie. Like, this got real. Yeah. Whereas now we're we're all sort of looking at it as like, what were they, what were they trying to say with this? I mean, I Which saw. I, I probably was the right age when it first came out. I was. I saw it. Oh, okay. And and I I remember that. I mean, this makes sense because I didn't really remember anything about it except that I thought it was good, but that like I I think I was like. Wow, that was good. That really made me think about things. But it, you know, I don't know. It, it didn't. Well, then maybe it serves a purpose. Look, but you know, I didn't. I didn't actually. It didn't give me enough to really like. Come. I, it's the same. It's like we were. What we were saying though. I was still like, 
guns really kill people, <laughs> you know, like there's, there's sure are a lot of guns in the world and people making money off of that. Like, you know, it made me think about that, which it, it wasn't something I was thinking about, but it didn't like, um, yeah, it, it felt deeper, I think, than it actually was because it, it doesn't ha- really have a stance on it besides that, uh, you know, war is bad and guns killing, killing people is bad. But I suppose to their credit, that is some, somewhat of an achievement that it can be sort of a, an echo chamber for anyone who views it in terms of you, you can, whatever stance you have, you can look at it and still agree with yourself by the end of it. I don't, I don't really know how well, yeah. the right way to phrase that, but is that an achievement though? Well, because like it, it, it had well, a v- just being so inoffensive, even with such a, a high highly controversial topic i suppose <laughs> they I, I dare, dare to be neutral <laughs> it's like they fix the stance and by not picking a stance. Like a movie that finally takes on abortion and lets you know that abortions happen <laughs> that it's a thing yeah let you know exactly how to spell abortion right <laughs> um i did i did appreciate the little uh surprise where we found out the title like the where the title comes from. Oh, I like that yeah, too. Yeah, like Lord of War when yeah. Andre Andre that Andre was Baptiste. Yeah, when he was like, um, is this why they call you the Lord of War? And Nick Cage was like, the term is warlord. Right. And he goes, I like my way better. <laughs> yeah, they they had a nice little back and forth. They had they had the best chemistry in the movie, honestly. Yeah. And I think that actor yeah, is was probably one, my favorite performance in the whole movie. He was great. I would say. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. He, his scenes were probably the most, the most interesting to watch, and he just you're locked on him whenever he's on the screen. Like he's a very he has a very commanding presence in terms of. I think he did a good job of getting into that character. Yeah, just being the creepy, total, total ruler, who absolutely didn't take any shit. And yeah. I mean, whether especially for the wrong reasons, but and you know, and just. Just a person that you don't fuck with. Yeah, and, and ha- having that kind of like that Idi Amin kind of feeling of like, wow, this guy is really like cheerful and nice in a way that makes me feel like I could die at any moment. Um, yeah, the actor, I don't know how to say his first name. It's e- Iman Walker. Yeah. Um, I, I guess he's famous for Oz. He was on Oz. Yeah. I, I never watched that. Um, but yeah, he's really good in this. Um, I liked his son too, his like dirtbag son, yeah, who, who just yeah. who wants the gun from Rambo, the and uh, Rambo drives around with like a gold plated AK forty seven, just just shooting, like, like shooting houses. into the air and like around him, <laughs> and he's got two girls um, in like blue sequin, like they look like Dallas cheerleaders, yeah, they look like <laughs> just riding around in his car. Well, and with with regard to his son and to uh, to Andre Baptiste's character, and just largely with the film, this is not a movie that displays uh, good examples of gun safety. They're in the scene where <laughs> I feel like that should go without saying, but uh, in the scene, I'd never really thought about it before, and it may it may be now. I know how sort of self-aggrandizing it sounds. It may be now that I'm a parent, but uh, in the scene where they kill Ian Holm. I never fully realized that his son is standing right next to Ian Holm and he is not 
looking when he pulls the trigger. <laughs> not even looking down the sights. He's he's like locked in this romantic eye contact with Nick with Cage. Cage. It's like, we're, hey, we're going to kill this dude. This and, is a bonding experience. And he still he fires he, blindly. He, he gets him fun. right between the eyes, though. He's oh, a yeah. great no, he's, shot. I mean, it's impressive. It's damn impressive. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. I, I did get the sense that that character was a little careless. Oh, you, just in general with like his whole country? <laughs> yeah. yeah, probably. Yeah. Perhaps his idea of safety and mine differs slightly. Yeah. N- n- not as concerned with uh, other people's well-being as um, one would have hoped. One would hope from a leader. Uh, also worth noting, uh, Weston Cage yes. put in an appearance Thank in this you. movie. I just want to bring that up before we wrap because I think it's I think it's important to to say. Yeah, finally, two towering giants of cinema meet Nick Cage and his son Weston as the uh, helicopter mechanic. I believe his character's name is <laughs> Vladimir. Vladimir. <laughs> um, he looks. Um, is that why he looked familiar? Yeah. Yes. He, 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 because we repost his photos on our Instagram all the time. That's where you've seen him before. He's got kind of a, a teenage Jack Osborne vibe um, at this period. He's not. He's either before or after he was in like full death metal mode. Um, if, if you're familiar with Nick Cage or Weston Cage, you'll know that he would like have it. He had like long black hair and like corpse paint like for a long time. Uh, but uh, this he's he's toned it down a little bit and. Uh, what did you think of his Russian accent, Max? I I was actually going to say he clearly spent a little more time uh, studying up on that than than maybe his year old dad did. <laughs> yeah, because uh, I I believed it when he spoke Russian. I thought, who is this? Who is this Russian kid giving the powerhouse performance and tossing around the socket wrench? You know? <laughs> who, who is this font of charisma and talent that just climbed off the helicopter and into my heart? It's Weston. It was like seeing a young Robert De Niro. <laughs> if he put on weight only in the face. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's really bitchy for some reason. Um, oh, did you guys notice um, surprise cameo by Donald Sutherland's voice? No. Where? When? The, no. the crooked colonel that uh, he calls in like one scene oh. was voiced oh. by Donald Sutherland. I didn't pick that up at all. That's so funny. Yeah, the Colonel Southern, I think yep. his name was. Yeah, I, I don't know what, um, why Donald Sutherland would be in this for a single line of voiceover. Like, I don't, but clearly somebody's friends with somebody, but uh, I thought that was worth noting. Well, and you got to pay the bills, you know. I, I want to think that he doesn't have trouble. I don't. I want to think that Donald Sutherland doesn't like take roles because he has to. Maybe it was just a. Maybe he he and Cage were friends, and it was like a favor that Cage called in. He's like, "Hey, do you want to make a? Do you want to make a, some quick money? Yeah. Why don't you star in my uh, stars and uh, as as an off screen <laughs> colonel in my film? Like literally in the credits, that character is played by two people, and he's only in one scene, and you can't see his face; you just see his legs. <laughs> Donald, Darth Vader style. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not quite as memorable. What what point were you going to make, Max? Oh, I was going to ask if you guys noticed, um, I don't know if you'd call this a continuity error, but there's a part where Nick Cage is in, I believe, Africa, and he is on the phone with his wife, who I'm, 
I'm probably going to fuck this up. Is it Ava Longoria? Mm, no, no, it's not, but I don't who know. Who to, hold on, I will tell you. Who, who plays his wife? I'm, I'm on the page. We can fix that right in post. Now. I know his she... wife played by... Bridget Moynihan. Um, Bridget Moynihan. Tom, Bridget Moynihan. Tom yes, Brady's totally, ex-wife. Totally different. Wow, that is a totally different person. Yeah. It's I, all right, man. I'll fix it in post. Don't sweat. <laughs> we'll fix it in post. His wife played by... Bridget Moynihan. Um... <laughs> She's in New York, he's in Africa, and it is nighttime in both places. <laughs> Dude, I love that you've seen this movie so many times that that's like the level of detail you're on. <laughs> I mean, it's, it stood out to me after maybe just two viewings of it, though. Yeah. Just like, wait, wait just a minute. I mean, it must have been the oh, second viewing because this was my first time and I didn't. Oh, but this was your second time, it was my Dave, second and time. You, yeah, you didn't I catch, didn't it, catch it. Yeah. Um, I, I think that might be because New York is the city that never sleeps. And she was not asleep. It's true. Yeah. Or it was a, it was like a sympathetic nighttime. Yeah, yeah. It's like she understood what he was going through. Yeah, it's like symbolic that their, their relationship was kind of in its twilight. But it was a dark time for all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, see? It's getting deep. <laughs> No, I don't know, but for some reason that always bothers me whenever I see this film. Um, How is this possible? <laughs> what has happened in the solar system to allow this? <laughs> Do you the, that speech about the AK-47 and how it's like, you know, like the go-to gun that everybody loves? Is that is that on point? Is that still true? Um, yeah, I would say that it, the AK-47 and variants of it are definitely it's the most mass-produced weapon in in the world i mean more than anything else it, it gets you know in this country we get especially because we're sort of jaded in terms of what happens around the world like we look at we look at the warfare and genocides in a lot of the rest of the world they like well you know that yeah that's what happens over there um but everybody's is sort of reinforced with the idea of like we need to be afraid of the ar-15 but around the world that's the, the AK is killing a lot more people yeah. and just on a daily basis. And yeah, it's it's been copied and copied and updated by so many different countries. I actually, I going back, way back to your point about the soundtrack, I really like the use of uh, it's Swan Lake. <laughs> Was it? It's like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it was like a Tchaikovsky song that they had going in that part. I really, I really appreciated that as well. I'm just a big fan of Tchaikovsky, but... I, oh, what did yeah, you, I would I would agree with that fully. That it it's definitely the most mass-produced sort of weapon in the world, and it's extremely easy to use and easy to operate. Yeah, no, I thought that was is that why nine-year-olds can do it. Yeah, I mean they're they're <laughs> not even heavy. Yeah, that's right. Isn't that that's a big part of it, right? It's it's light, so even a child soldier can use it. Well, it's light and it's extremely simple. Like I've I've heard. I've heard military instructors say that if they wanted to train somebody to shoot like an M16 or, or an American service rifle like that, uh, they would need, you know, uh, several days, quite some time, but that they could teach somebody to use an AK-47 and to field strip it and clean it and everything. They could do that in an afternoon. It's The parts are really big. It's really easy to just take apart. There aren't many parts and... Yeah, it, it's just a very, very easy system to learn in terms of a weapons platform. 
chilling. I don't know if that's overly technical. No, no, no that's, that's, that's super informative. Thank I you. I think we were just both uh, taking that in. Yeah, I was, I was a bit stunned. I didn't realize that's why. I mean, you know, like you hear, I'm, it, it, it is infamous, but I just didn't realize exactly why. I didn't realize it was on the flag for was it Mozambique or some. Uh, it, he mentions that in the movie, and I looked it up, and it, yeah, I, I think it is Mozambique. They, they have like a yeah. star with, uh, I think a hoe and, uh, and an AK 47, like crossed, which is it's wild. Yeah. Honestly, it was, um, you, I don't know if you, you guys may want to cut this out, but it was the first gun that I ever bought. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, and, and you, you still have it. Yeah. And you'd like to, where, where do you go shooting your AK? Uh, I just go up to the mountains, you know, I, there aren't a lot of indoor ranges where you can where you can shoot rifles yeah they'll, they'll pop right through the back you know the backstop and then you're firing out into a parking lot essentially through a wall and nobody wants that so um <laughs> yeah you just go up to a mountain find like a rock quarry somewhere with a really good solid backstop and plenty of space where you're not in city limits and it's not going to bother anybody i had uh dorkily enough i had planned to to get it out and to have it sitting with me while i was <laughs> recording with guys i was going to be in my garage but <laughs> it is way way too fucking hot in my garage man. and uh so i'm not on my front porch and i thought it might maybe bad form to be sitting it's on my just, front porch sitting just be posted up with an, an ak on your front porch you're like no no it's for a podcast it, it wouldn't yeah it wouldn't it didn't like, would be the first time but it, it, it's bad form when i'm still up i think <laughs> um, that was the first gun you ever owned was an ak yeah that, yeah that's crazy I, I think it was like 19 or 20 i I walked into a gun store and you guys got AKs? They were like, yeah, what kind do you want? And brought a couple out. And I was like, yeah, take that. And <laughs> bought it. And I, I do remember going home that day and just thinking like, wow, that was really easy. <laughs> that was really easy to get a hold of. <laughs> well, <laughs> something, um, the, this is just uh, a memory that I, so, I mean, Max and I have been friends forever and, and, um, I, I used to get annoyed because we would watch movies and Max would point out what guns everyone was shooting. <laughs> yeah. I'm a, a bit of a gun nerd. Yeah. Like the, the nerdiest, but I, and, um, and I remember, um, the, one of my favorite memories was, um, cause you used to have, you had the airsoft guns and, um, oh, yeah. I, I remember you, you had like an airsoft revolver in the glove box of your car and you remember when oh, yeah you remember when we got stopped by the cops when we were in high oh, school yeah. no we were yeah we got we got illegally searched by the portland pd and i think i had two airsoft pistols with with the black um or with the orange tip painted over with black. So yeah. It looked really real. And it was like, it was after dark in kind of sketchy part of town. It was at night in Chinatown in, which was the, the sketchiest part of Portland at the time. And, uh, we were just like tooling around being idiots. And uh, yeah, the, the cops stopped us. Yeah. They did illegally search us. They had us get out of the car and you were like, you're like, Hey, just so you know, I have a airsoft gun in the, in the glove box. And I think you had the, a rifle an airsoft yeah, rifle, a rifle in the trunk. trunk. <laughs> and so they get us out and they're like patting us down and like being really serious. And, and we are both kind of like quietly freaking out. Cause we're like 17 or something. 
And, well, and people are people are walking by and seeing them pull what look like handguns out and just set them on top of the car. Yeah. And I remember coming up with a really hasty excuse about they were like, Why do you have these just like in your car? And I was like, Well, you know, my friends and I play airsoft a lot, so I just like to have them, you know, nearby so that if I get the call, I can just go meet up with them. I don't have to go home. <laughs> yeah, whenever there's a game. <laughs> and, some, some bullshit. Like, and, and we didn't we didn't know how it was going to go down until one cop pulls the the pistol out and he shoots the other cop and he just goes, yeah, he goes, bitch. And he, yeah. he, like shoot. Even, he turned it sideways too. he held it oh gangster my. style. Yeah. yeah and like the shot the other cop in the, in the dick. <laughs> and we were both like, okay, I think we're fine. Oh, yeah. Portland's finest. And, and well, that's, that's one of those things where it's like, that would not have happened if we were anything other than white. We knew they were going to fuck with us from the moment we saw them because they were both looking like rubbernecking as they drove past us. And then they went the wrong way up a one way street so that they could get behind us. Oh, yeah. We we felt like the, the hammer coming down. It was not fun. Yeah. I glimpsed into a, a life we didn't live by any means. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, let's go back to suburbia. Anyway, Max, do you have anything else to add about this film? Uh, let me just glance over my, my notes real quick. Other than maybe my, my other favorite line in the movie. Yeah. I guess I wrote down saying there's a line where he says merchant of death and writing. I wrote down, that's the closest connection to the book. That's like, yeah, (laughs) we said the, we said the title of the book. So there you go. Um, but my, my favorite line in the movie is where, uh, Jared Leto, I think it's the same Christmas scene. He comes in, he's got the hooker with him, he's all geeked out, and he's introducing her, and, and Nick Cage holds out his hand to shake hers. He says, and you are, and she says, Candy. And he goes, ah, Candy, of course. <laughs> <laughs> His delivery of that just fucking gets me. <laughs> That's really good. It's such a very proper sort of almost, I mean, not even almost, a very snobby, <laughs> ah, of course. <laughs> yep. What did you guys What did you guys think of Nick Cage's performance over? I know you, that Max, you said it was kind of uh, blank and and emotionless, but like in general, like did it serve the film? Was it where does it stand in like the pantheon of uh, Cage performances? It stands squarely in the middle. Yeah. Um, I think that it didn't serve the film. I don't think it necessarily did. It, it didn't disservice, hurt it. Yeah. But I don't think it really served it because he made certain things almost comical yeah. when I think that the really tonally that, that turned me off, you know, it was again, like I was saying, like not treating these situations with like the proper, like dramatic gravity that, right. that, that, that they deserve. Like he was very flippant well, yeah. about a lot of the stuff that, and yeah, that kind of set me off. Yeah. And he's, he's very he's cocky in a lot of scenes where cockiness would not serve you in real life. You know, in many of the scenes with Ethan Hawke, he came across as just, arrogant well know, yeah when, and like they're, also they're shoving the guns in his face and he's like oh do you want to do you want a silencer for that oh yeah yeah, yeah. And, of course yeah and like so ethan you know. hawk's character was like basically the only person that was actually like moral in the entire movie like who actually had like a moral compass of any kind but he's an asshole so because of that we're supposed <laughs> to hate him well and and just like yeah they yeah he's the quote bad guy even though it's a movie about an anti-hero i guess and a a bad guy overall but they they make the point too that um the the reason that ethan hawk can't 
stop Nicolas Cage sooner is because he plays by the rules. And like they, they make a, a fine point of that. It, it's almost like, like I, again, like I couldn't tell if the film wanted him to not play by the rules because what they're saying is like by, <laughs> by being somebody with a moral compass and like following a code, you are allowing, you know, thousands upon thousands more people to die and then at the end... Well, no, see, I, th- I I think that the film is even more ambiguous than that and that it doesn't matter that it's Nick Cage. Like, the only reason we're following Nick Cage and not someone else is because he's the one that, like, took advantage of the system mm-hmm. and is making it work for him. Even if Ethan Hawke or, like, these Ethan Hawke types had caught all these bad guys, someone else would just spring up in their place because it's the system that's yeah. broken. It's not, it's not the individuals. Like, they're just yeah. taking advantage of it. Right. Well, they even say that he's... You know, he's the rarest type of cop of all, the type that wouldn't break the law in yeah. order to catch someone who's breaking the law. Yeah. Which but- I, th- I thought was interesting because he also, by and large, it's like he plays by the book. He does everything by the book except for when he doesn't. <laughs> like it, leaving, leaving Nick Cage handcuffed sitting on whatever it is, a coffee can or something right. during in the scene when they're, when they're uh, they time-lapse s- of them taking the plane apart, probably not kosher, you know? Like, <laughs> if a wild animal came by and ate him, he would have to do a lot of paperwork at the very least well, to but, explain how how this unfolded. But they still, they make a point that he is, that he is doing the more humane thing because everyone else is like, yeah, you could just shoot this piece of shit and he could disappear. And... You know, like me watching it, I was like, yeah, they kind of could. I, I don't know if, you know, I'm supposed to be rooting for somebody to die in this movie. That's, you know, that feels wrong. But him being like, no, like, I'm not going to do that. But it says that I can detain him for a day. So, yeah, I'm just going to leave him sitting in the sun and then I'm going to come and let him go after, you know, he sits here all night. What am, what am I supposed to take away from that? Like, that that doesn't... He, so he's punishing him like a bad boy. He put him in timeout. Like, yeah. What what the fuck does that do? Yeah, it's a very it's a very um, I don't know, like a very futile attempt at at stopping it. Or he's just sort of delaying the inevitable. But it's it puts you sort of maybe that's actually an interesting thing that the film does is it sort of puts you in the the psychopath's dilemma where you have the you have the ability to flip the switch on the train tracks. And on the one side, you have five people waiting on one train track. And on the other, there's one person waiting there. Right. The, and, trolley. the trolley, you know, which, oh, the trolley, the trolley, sorry. And uh, yeah, which, which do you choose? Or do you, do you just stay out of the whole thing and allow it to happen? Or do you knowingly want to sacrifice the one person to save more people? But with, uh, this is a bit more obscure because there's no real guarantee because it's <laughs> the movie implies that even if you stop that one trolley, there's going to be another one right behind it. Right. You know? Yeah. So it's, I, I suppose that's an interesting position that it puts you in, but it does so maybe not so effectively. Yeah. It's, it's sort of, um, I feel like it leads you 80% of the way there. Um, but you know, it's not, it's not really enough. Max, what is your favorite Nicolas Cage performance? Wait, I, I think I know what it's... I think I know it, but... Yeah, I, I think you might as well. Um, is it The Rock? I'm going to have to give it to The Rock. I mean, yes. I mean, The Rock is, by all rights, 
the actual documentary of the true story of what would have happened if everything had happened exactly that way. <laughs> that's that's a movie that I think you you probably know sequence by sequence. I mean, we've how many times watched it so many times. I've watched it so many times with you and fucking movie so many times. Yeah. Although it was it was actually um at some point in high school it was very unceremoniously ruined for me um, by uh, a good friend of mine who later went on to actually be in the special forces and still is. Um, but we were watching it one night and I said like, man, this is a good action movie. And he said, yeah, I mean, it's a good action movie, but it's like, it's like a good TNT action movie. What do you mean? Like, you know, the, you know, the channel TNT, like oh. you might see on that. And, and that just, it took the wind out of my sails on the rock. I was like, Oh, God. <laughs> hit the nail on the head. <laughs> That's, I, I like that as a dig. The movie. But, uh, but yeah, it, yeah. Well, I mean, it's Michael Bay. Yeah. I, yeah, I, no, I think it was, I mean, when I was younger too, I didn't have, I guess, a full understanding or a clear picture of who Michael Bay was. This is all pre, you know, The Rock came out, what, 96? Yeah. It's pre Bad Boys 2. Is, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that's. Is it pretty Bad Boys or was Bad Boys? Really no, bad? It's it, right it's, after. It's bad just boys. after Bad Boys. Yeah. So I mean, it was st- we were still, the world was still awakening to who Michael Bay was and the threat that he posed. To Some would say that we large. hadn't quite had a, a Bay awakening yet. <laughs> it, yeah. I, it's the it's easily the best Michael Bay movie though. It's it, it's fun. Although I do I do love Con Air. I do. Dude, really Dude Armageddon. Um, Armageddon is obviously the best Michael Bay movie. You th- no. I yes. Fuck Armageddon. That's I've actually I'm gonna I'm gonna out myself here. I've actually never seen Armageddon. Max, you gotta get on it. You gotta see Armageddon. <laughs> no. No. You should see Captain Corelli and Armageddon. <laughs> double feature. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh my god, double Dude, feature. Do I watch first. God. That's like the Sophie's Tilly. That's like five <laughs> hours of shitty cinema. <laughs> I've done that before, though. I not not to get too far off topic, but I did uh, a double feature of the second and third Matrix movies in one night. Oh, good in lord! In order to because my brother hadn't seen them, and I, I he's like, "Are they really that bad?" And I said, "Let's go to Blockbuster right now." This is back when they existed. Let's go to Blockbuster. We're gonna rent both of them. I guarantee you, they have both of them. If no one else wants to watch it, I'll I'll show you tonight, but only tonight. <laughs> and we watched both Matrix, both the second and third Matrix movies. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know that all either of us will ever be the same. Yeah. So whatever. Then that's and that's when we lost your brother. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he still hasn't come home. After no, that no longer with us. Max Busman, my oldest friend. Thank you so much. Thank for, you. For Thank you so much, Max. I don't personally know you, but I feel through Dave that. Um, that we that we would get along that i think we'd be yeah. friends you know i i felt the same thing upon starting to listen to your guys show i was like i don't know who this miles guy is but i bet we could chop it up he's all right by cool. me <laughs> yeah you're good in my book sir and it's uh yeah it's been an honor and a privilege gentlemen and i i hope that i can appear in future episodes i know i'm i'm on the schedule further down the line for ghost rider which i am really 
really looking forward to. Hell yeah. I can't wait, honestly. <laughs> I'm so excited for Ghost Rider. I can't even tell you. Yeah, we're, we're going to do it. I think that's coming up really soon. Knowledge of. I've, I've frequently drive around on a motorcycle with my head on fire. So I know that's another one I can, I can sort of personally tap into. Yeah, we can tell the story of when the Portland PD stopped you for having your head on fire. Yeah. But, sir, your head appears to be a flaming skull. And you've been... Have you, been, yeah. Have you been using any substances? <laughs> yeah. Okay, and one last request. Uh, can you can you do a panther roar for us? Oh, I I can. Uh, I'm still sitting on my front porch, so I'm gonna have to like cut my hand over the phone so I don't weird my neighbors out too much. Okay. But let's hear it. Oh, that was so. Dude, that good. was sick. <laughs> Thank you. So good.